Last week, we ended with Paul praying for them that their love would increase and abound more and more, and that it would abound to holiness, that by them growing in love for each other and for everyone, God would establish their hearts blameless in holiness at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that leads us all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, that just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, this is your living word. And we are your people called by your name. Lord, I do echo Eric's prayer. If any have yet to place their trust in Christ, would today be the day that they hear your voice and live. Lord, may we, a people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, learn how we ought to walk and to please you. That is the desire of our hearts. I pray that you would give us grace and wisdom to do so more and more as the day approaches. Would you open your word to us and give us your wisdom and your revelation by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to begin by looking at this aim that Paul gives the Thessalonians and to us, that our aim is to please God with a holy life. More and more is what he says. So we, he says, finally... In light of all that he's written to this point, and specifically in light of this prayer that their love would abound more and more, and that God would, because of that, establish them in holiness, he says, you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do so more and more. And he reminded them that he had taught them and given them instructions through the Lord Jesus when he was with them. So Paul is appealing not to just his apostolic authority, he's saying, These commandments are coming to you as non-optional through the Lord Jesus. These are commandments that I'm giving to you in the Lord. Reminder, you're in the Lord by virtue of your union with Christ. If you've turned from your sin and placed your trust in Christ, you are in the Lord. And so these commandments are coming to you who are in Christ. And he's our master. We have been bought with the price and we're to glorify God in our bodies. And so I am urging you and asking you 
and reminding you of the commandments that I gave to you when I was with you, do so more and more. And this idea of pleasing God is not new. Even in this letter, in the previous uh, chapter 2, he uh, told them that they had been entrusted with the gospel and they spoke not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So there's a way where you can speak that is mindful of pleasing people more than pleasing God. And to the Galatians, Paul would write, if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You cannot please both God and men. The two are opposed to each other. Your own flesh is opposed to the will of the Spirit so that you can no longer do the things that you please. So there's a war going on for the pleasure of God or your own pleasure or the pleasure of what, what will get you acceptance in the eyes of people. Now, before we dive into what this passage has to say about pleasing God, I want to look with you at this concept so that we can aim at pleasing God rightly in light of the gospel, because there's a lot of confusion on this, I feel like. I've heard a lot of teaching that would say, because of Christ Jesus, God says over your life, you are my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. And in Christ, there is a sense in which that is gloriously true that we have been adopted by God into his family, and he looks on us as sons and daughters. But there is a difference between being adopted by God and accepted by him and living in a way that is pleasing to him. It is to say there's a difference between being justified by Christ and being sanctified in Christ. That you, you're not automatically sanctified in living a life pleasing to God just because you have a standing that is at peace with Him by the blood of Christ. Does that make sense? So it is wondrously true and glorious that we are children of the Father, fully accepted in Christ, loved by God, cherished by Him, delighted in by Him. And that is true because of Christ. We have His righteousness imputed to us and that is gloriously and wondrously true. But I think what could be helpful here is thinking about it with relation to parents and children. I love and delight in my children. And there's nothing that they could do that could change their standing with me in my family as my children that I love and cherish and that I accept as mine. But they can walk in a way that is pleasing to me in ways that are not pleasing to me. Anybody? Right? You don't just say, well, because you're my son, you're always pleasing to me. That's just not true. There is a way in which you can walk that is pleasing to your father, and there's ways that you can walk that displease him. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, that we make it our aim or our ambition in life is to be pleasing to him. Now, just the fact that this is possible is a glorious privilege that has been purchased for you by the blood of Christ. Romans 8, Paul says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not possible for those outside of Christ to bring pleasure to the Father. And C.S. Lewis writes in The Weight of Glory that being pleasing to God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in, as an artist delights in his work or a father and a son, it seems impossible, a weight or a burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. 
but so it is. And so it will be. He's writing, when, when we are in heaven with the Father, we will be fully sanctified and fully pleasing to him and actually contributing to the happiness and delight of God because of his work in us by Christ Jesus. And in our sanctification, that is in process, where as we walk in him and obey him and do his will, we bring pleasure to the Almighty. And it is a privilege of the highest kind. It is to be our continual aim that we seek to obey by faith in what he reveals to us in his word. Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But if we walk by faith in light of what he has revealed to us and we obey his commandments, we walk out a life that is pleasing to God. First, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 um, shows us a little bit more of what, what this idea of pleasing God looks like. And then we're jumping back to our text in 1 Thessalonians 4. Colossians 1, verse 9 through 11, Paul is praying for the Colossians. He says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That's one of those glorious Pauline run-on sentences that you could just spend days and years in your life unpacking. But don't miss this. We please God by loving him and obeying him. Colossians 1, Paul's saying that starts with a knowledge of his will. God reveals to you what his will is, and then he gives you a knowledge of his will so that you will walk in a manner worthy of him. How? Well, it looks like if you want to be fully pleasing to him, which is awesome, anybody want to be partially pleasing to him? He says, I want you to walk in a manner that is fully pleasing to God, and that looks like bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How? Being strengthened by His Spirit to do it. You cannot manufacture this in yourself. You cannot uh, produce this on your own. It's going to take the revelation of the Spirit of God and the strengthening of the Spirit of God and pressing on to know Him and to walk with Him by faith. And it's a life of faith in the promises of God, seeking to obey the will of God by the Spirit of God that is pleasing to Him. And Paul is, what is glorious here is that Paul is praying for it. It's a miracle. It, he, the way that this life of pleasing God starts by praying God and asking him for it. Asking him for a revelation of the knowledge of his will. Asking him for strength to do the will that he reveals. He is mindful that we are but dust. And he loves to come to our aid. He wants us to do his will more than we do. He wants to help you. He wants to strengthen you so that you can live a life that is fully pleasing to him. So in Colossians 1, it starts with the knowledge of his will, and it looks like bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it looks like our sanctification in holiness, and he spells it out for us. So he says point blank to us, or how, so we know how we please God is doing the will of God. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says... 
this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, your sanctification. He wants you to be holy. Is what sanctification means. It's holiness, growing in holiness, the righteousness of Christ imparted to you. Yes, God has gloriously imputed to you His righteousness in Christ when you place your trust in Him, but holiness lived out looks like Christ being formed in His people, Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, and us being rooted and grounded in His love, and the Holy Spirit of God, His Holy Spirit, who takes up residence in our hearts, is imparting to us the very life of Christ and enabling our obedience. It's a holiness of heart and of mind and of, of your whole body, which is what Paul gets to. And he says, so in a month of being Christians, he says, we taught you this. You know this. And if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, this is not new teaching to you. God wants you to be holy. And he says, you know this. Blessed are you if you do this and pursue this more and more. And so what I love about how Paul phrases this is that there's room for all of us, for the holiest person in the room and for the person who's been walking away from the Lord or been walking in their own strength, that there is room for you to pursue God's will for you in Christ Jesus and growing sanctified more and more. It's as if to say, don't make peace with your current level of holiness. Don't make peace with where you are in the fight for Christ's likeness in the heart. Now, Paul gets into sort of our next section, which is walking it out, right? Holiness, if it is real, must put shoes on and be walked out in life. And this was the whole Pharisee situation, right? Where they, they outwardly wanted to look and appear holy, but inwardly were full of dead man's bones, right? It was just selfishness and self-orientation inside but outside, we put on a pretty good face, right? In church, looking like I'm obeying, but in the quiet of my own heart and home, it's corruption all within. And so holiness, if it is real, must begin in the heart. But there's a hypocrisy of another kind, which convinces itself that it's holy in the heart, but it's not fleshed out in life, right? Where we can convince ourselves that because we've made peace with our current level of holiness, uh, it, it may look today something like this. There's grace for me in Christ Jesus. He has died for my sins and imputed his righteousness to me and praised his name. He's made me holy. And we get up from our devotional time and there's a complete disconnect from that to how we live the rest of our lives. Holiness, if it is real, if we're indwelt by the spirit of Christ, then it should have a massive impact on how we live our lives. If God is having his way in my heart, it will have a massive impact in how I'm living among other people. Last, last uh, cross-reference before jumping back to 1 Thessalonians 4, but this is important for us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. He's talking to all of us, living stones, so all of us collectively. You individually, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but collectively, Rivertown Church, 
made together into a temple, a dwelling place for God by his spirit. He says, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You can't have a better promise than that. He says, I'm going to come and make my dwelling place with you. I'm going to walk among you. I'm going to be with you. Therefore, my church, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So Paul now, chapter 7, verse 1, since we have these promises, beloved, of God making his dwelling place with us as we purify ourselves just as he is pure. We don't have a disconnect between what we claim and how we're living. We have cleansed ourselves. He says, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So he says, you are the children of the living God. You are the place where God dwells. Now walk like it. And, and he will bring his life, his presence to your life more and more as we cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit. So Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 gets into the real nitty-gritty practical, here's how you can please God with your life. Here's, here's how you can walk more and more in a way that is pleasing to your heavenly Father. First, bodily self-control in holiness and honor. Bodily self-control in holiness and honor. Look at verse 2. For you know what instructions, that word's commandments, we commanded you through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control or gain mastery over your own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So just like in Colossians, he says, this, this pleasing God starts with knowing something. You need to know how. You need to learn how to control your body in holiness and honor. You need to learn how. And Paul starts with this walking and pleasing God. He begins with this defense, right? It's what not to do. He says, I want you to abstain from sexual Immorality. Keep yourself from all. The word is porneia. It's where we get the word pornography from. It's, it's any kind of sexual immorality that is outside of the confines between God's good design of sex inside a marriage covenant between one man and one woman. Everything else is porneia. So anything that I, I thought about this a lot in 2019, we were getting a lot of outrage about the Bible's sexual ethic and God's commandments for holiness as regards to sex and thinking, we're, we're crazier. The Bible's a crazier standard than the world even thinks. They're outraged that there may be some uh, argument over whether or not homosexuality or gay marriage is okay, but God's standard is 
sex is confined to inside a marriage covenant between one man and one woman. And everything else is sexual immorality. And I want you to remember this culture that the Thessalonians lived in. This was, Kayla was talking, she's studying this right now. She says, it seems kind of random that he's just like, hey, brothers, by the way, abstain from sexual immorality after he's been like effusive in his love for them and how proud he is of them. And I think, look at the patience and the kindness. The, the, they're new believers and they are walking with God. And some of them are going back to or being tempted to go back to their old manner of life where Thessalonica was just uh, probably a lot like our culture, on, but on steroids even, where it was just orgies and sexual rituals. And I told you guys that the male organ featured prominently in the worship would have been in their homes and just all manner of lewdness that was not even just okay, it was propagated as a way to worship and gain favor from gods and deities. So this was their way of life. And now, Paul, the gospel comes in, the good news, Christ came to redeem you from your sinful way of life and to make you a holy people. And so he's reminding them, we commanded you to do this. Abstain from sexual immorality. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, your sanctification. God has not called you to impurity, but to holiness. So do this more and more. But he says, not, don't, don't control your body in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So I want to keep coming back to this. He's saying, look, the Christian life begins with the knowledge of God. He reveals himself to you and you know God. And as you come to know God and be known by God, it creates a whole new manner of life. Don't seek to master your body or live just uncontrolled like the Gentiles who do not know God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11, Paul says, do you not know? So here it is again. You need to know something. Do you not know? That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now just think, marvel afresh at the power of the blood of Jesus, that it could cleanse us, even us, and that we could be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And those who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ live like it. They're given the Holy Spirit of God, and he makes a difference in our lives where our lives actually start to look like the life of Christ. Paul is saying, learn how. Learn how to live like you have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Know how to control your body like someone who knows God. So this is a question for us, believer. In a world that has exchanged the truth of God for a lie and has worshiped and served the created rather than the creator, 
and has boiled down a lot of life to sex and sexuality and your personal freedom and sexual freedom. And at every place where there's an opportunity to deny the law of God, our culture is doing it. Will you be a person who is set apart and holy with regards to sex and sexuality in your mind and in your body? Will you choose to be set apart and to be a beacon of light, calling the world to a righteous standard that Jesus Christ has raised from the dead and he is Lord of heaven and earth. He is not just the Lord of people who have confessed their sins and have come to him. Jesus is Lord over all. And what he says about life is binding on all of his creation. He has commanded people to worship him and to be holy because he is holy. This is binding on us, and we are called to live holy and blameless before him. It's why he predestined you to adoption as sons, so that you would be holy and blameless before him. It's what he longs for you, and we're to do so, speaking the truth in love, holding up the righteous standard of God and living a life that is marked by the fruit of God's Spirit. So the question for you is, how are you doing in the fight? How are you doing in abstaining from sexual immorality or from the lusts of the flesh that are waging war against your soul? Do you feel cognizant of that? Do you feel cognizant of the war? Because if you feel like, if you hear Peter saying, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. If you feel no war, you're probably sleeping. You're not fighting. And the enemy is taking ground. He is moving the line of holiness in your life. You compare yourself to past versions of yourself or to your neighbor instead of to the righteousness of Christ and pressing on into holiness and the fear of God, and the devil is eating your lunch. My biggest exhortation to us, because I, look, I know that there is, sin loves to hide in the dark. So there could be adultery going on in this room, and only you know it. And if that's you, repent and fear God. The Lord is an avenger in all these things. But I think more prominently, more prevalent in the church of Jesus Christ is that we seek to manage sexual sin. We seek to manage lustful thoughts. It's just sort of sin management. Paul says in Ephesians 5, sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. You want to know the war that is going on? Just as an example, I read a stat the other day. In 2019, there were 42 million visits to Pornhub alone, one, one website. It was 1.3 million hours of new content in 2019. It would take you 170 years to watch that content. So that means you start watching in 1850, and you don't stop watching, and you could watch all of that content that went up in 2019 by the time that the pandemic rolled around. That is, that is 
how much content uploaded on one site. I was talking to a brother about this before today. It takes vigilance in today's society with all that is being thrown at you. The devil is baiting hooks everywhere you turn. It starts with discontentment in the home or discontentment with your life. We talked about this in our men's study. All sin begins with unbelief and pride. You stop believing who God is for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus stopped being enough to make you content and satisfy your heart, and your heart went looking for other things. But at the end of the day, pursuing counterfeit joys in pornography or sexual immorality is it's it's a counterfeit joy and it traps its victims and hollows you out giving way to pornography helps build a world where abuse and sex trafficking flourish you can't disconnect this this stuff that you believers don't commit adultery against God or, or do abominations. We just struggle with stuff. So this is it's this thing that you occasionally struggle with is actually contributing to a world where sexual deviance has gone wild. And it's all raising itself up, up against the true knowledge of God and a holiness in the fear of God. So a lustful heart, eyes that are untamed, a body unchecked, you're called to abstain from all of it, all of it, and to pursue holiness and the fear of God. So my biggest exhortation in the midst of this and the calling to abstain is don't make peace with sin. You cannot manage your lust. You cannot just hope that you can just handle it in private. God has given us means to fight. He's given you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and prayers with which to wield it in the body of Christ so that you can confess your sin and bring it into the light, and sin cannot flourish in the light. And people, we've talked about this much over the last few months, people aren't going to want to bring their sin into the light if they're not met with a culture that has been shaped by the gospel, where people know, I'm not going to be judged for my sin. I'm going to be met with a fellow sinner who knows, let's take this to Christ together And let's confess our sins. And if we confess our sins to him and to each other, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. But instead of getting cleansing, we hide because of the shame of sexual sin, because the enemy convinces us that it'd be too shameful to actually go to God's means of victory and God's means of cleansing. And so we are going to hide and try fig leaves, and just see if we can deal with it on our own. Sin cannot be managed. It has to be put to death. It has to, by the Spirit of God, if we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. And so he has given us his Spirit and his Word and his people so that we can fight and win. This is one of the things that I tell young men all the time. You can win. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. This is a battle that Jesus is stronger than. It's a matter of whether or not we are going to believe him that he is better and to stop trading him for counterfeit joys. So if you've made peace with sexual sin in your life of any kind, I am pleading with you to wake up and to be warned. As Paul says, I've told you over and over and we solemnly warned you. The Lord is an avenger in all these things. 
He is a judge, a righteous judge, and he will not allow sin to go without consequence. Learn how to walk and please God and do this more and more. Memorize passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It talks about your body and how your body was made for the Lord. It's not your own. You don't, you don't just own your body. You can just, you just do with your body whatever you want. Your body, there's massive spiritual implications for your body. We're not disembodied spirits. You, are, you have a body that is going to be somewhere in eternity when God raises you from the dead. Either to an eternity of death or an eternity of life. But your body matters. What you do with your body matters. 1 Corinthians 6, 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not how God designed it. He made it for himself. And the Lord was for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know? There it is again. You need to know something. You need to know, and today, church, to be stirred up by way of reminder that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is God's call. Like, I want you to flee sexual immorality. I want you to be like Joseph when Pharaoh's wife grabbed him by the cloak and he would rather run off naked. <laughs> Somebody just shouted naked. That's awesome. I can't get you guys to talk back the whole message. I say naked and some kid's like, woo. He'd rather run away than be caught dead, compromised, flee, run. It's an emergency. Run. So this is Paul saying, abstain. I want you to have this defense. But we also know from other places of Scripture that this defense is also met by an offense. That the way that we refuse the, counter, the temptation to counterfeit pleasures from the evil one the tempter who's always seeking to bait and to tempt you is that we have superior enjoyment of God. Thomas Chalmers called it the expulsive power of a greater affection, that we have this greater love for Christ that drives out the temptation to lesser satisfaction. I don't, it's harder to be tempted by a lesser joy when you have fullness of joy in the presence of God that comes from Christ Jesus. So that's why Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In Romans 13, Paul says, the night is gone, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk, so there it is, says holiness, walked out properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but what instead? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision, provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There's a huge verse. So one of the ways that you fight, believers, is that you memorize Scripture like this. I told a young man, you have everything that you need for this fight. You have the sword of the Spirit. This is not, that's not like a, a, a mug phrase, like a bumper sticker phrase. It's just like a nice, like we just get so used to this language. The Spirit of God gave you a sword. That is awesome. Learn how to wield it. I said, your problem is you have the weapon that you need and you know nothing about how to wield it. 
The problem is not with the weapon. The problem is with you need to train yourself in godliness so you know how to wield the weapon and do damage to the kingdom of God. It's not enough to just say, I'm, I'm, I'm being defensive. Like you're coming on the offense and you are taking ground. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You make no provision for the flesh with regard to its desires. So there's another question for you, believer. Where does the enemy tempt you? Where are you prone to give in to temptation? When you're tired at a certain time of day because you have this phone and internet in your pocket, like where are you making provision for your flesh? God says don't do it. In war, one way that you could attack a city is you, you cut off the supply lines. You starve them out. So God has given us supply lines for our health that the enemy wants to choke out. He's given us the word. He's given us prayer. He's given us the people of God. These are our primary supply lines where we get health and victory and we win the battle. And if the enemy can cut you off from the word, cut you off from prayer, and cut you off from God's people, then he can just fill your life with the cyanide of sexual immorality or lustful thoughts and temptation or pornography or wherever it is that you are struggling with this or have in the past. And it is just the two cannot abide. If we have the supply lines of the Word of God and prayer and the people of God and we're walking in the light, living with confession before our brothers and sisters and growing in sanctification, look, we all struggle and stumble. But you are going to grow and get stronger and stronger and stronger with these supply lines so that you win. And the enemy wants you to cut you off from it. Might start with busyness, and then it's distraction, and then that grows to shame. And then once shame sets in, just enemy condemns you and kicks you while you're down. And it just feels too hard. And it feels like a too, it's insurmountable. Now, now everybody, look, if you ever have struggled with giving into lust in any way, you know what it's like. It's like getting away from the gym. And then the, the pain of getting back in feels like the inertia is too much. The shame is too much. And so you feel like, I can't, because once I get started, then I'm going to have to do it. So I'll just wait till New Year's. And then New Year's rolls around, you have a good two weeks, and then you're right back to where you were. Then your appetite for what's unholy grows. All of a sudden, holiness sounds stuffy and claustrophobic. And sexual deviance seems like, what's, I don't understand. Like, what's the big deal? Or like, why God's so uptight about it anyways? So the enemy wants to do that by choking out these supply lines. But we need to come here for life and see, ah, Psalm 4, God, you have given me more joy and a better one than the world has when their grain and wine abound. When the world is off living it up sexually in all the ways that they think will satisfy them, I have a greater joy and a better one. Holiness is not stuffy. It is a pathway of joy and freedom. And so this is what Paul's over and over again commanding us, commissioning us to live full of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. In Galatians 5, he says, look, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
This is the offensive way. So yes, abstain from sexual immorality. But beyond that, more than that, go on offense and seek to walk by the strength of God's Holy Spirit. Walk in intimacy of, with God in His Word. The, <clears throat> some of you guys will, will laugh because I say this all the time about Bible study specifically. This is not complicated. It's just hard. If you want to fight and win, then you need to know God. Which means you're going to have to choose God over lesser things. Which means in your weak state, you're probably going to need some accountability and some brotherhood and some sisterhood to be able to pursue God and to set up good measures for defense, for making no provision for the flesh with regards to its lust. And you need help from the body of Christ by the word of God in prayer to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk by the Spirit. And if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We believe him. So it's unbelief or belief. The, the whole battle comes down to faith. And where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And as I just put on this oxygen mask, uh, I start to believe what is true and what is right. And I start to walk by God's spirit with his people. And I start to live a holy life that shocking and glorious is pleasing to God. That passage also says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. Beloved, you have been made alive by the Spirit of God. And so stay alive and walk living by the same Spirit who brought you to life. You came to life by a miracle, and you are going to grow in holiness by a miracle. Cease striving and know that he is God and press on to know him. And you will increase in the knowledge of God and bear fruit in every good work as you press on to know him and say no to counterfeit joys and say yes to him in whose presence there's fullness of joy. Now we spent the longest amount of time there. He says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, abstain from sexual immorality. Then he has sort of this change of subject where he's answering seemingly questions that they had written to him about. So he's like, now then, Concerning brotherly love, they asked about brotherly love later in chapter 5. It seemed like from the first three chapters, these people are just in love with each other. They're in love with everybody. They love Paul. Paul loves them. It's like this really kind, everybody's exchanging compliments, and it's all sweet. But then in chapter 5, he gives them all these exhortations, and he says things like, uh, oh, man. It says, don't despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good. He talks about being patient with the weak and helping people. I'm trying to find that verse. You guys find it. Go read chapter 5. Um, these are real people, a real church. And sometimes it's really hard to love each other. We, we see things differently. Um, some people you just have a different personality from. Some people... Uh, there are different levels of sanctification from each other. Some people, how we work these things out, they're different. And he says, look, you actually don't need me to teach you anything new. You just need to do what you've been told. You've been taught by God. And so the only place in the Bible that this term taught by God is used, it like combines God and this term for being taught into one verb. And it says, God has taught you to love one another. 
So if you know this, blessed are you, you if you do this. And we've spent the last weeks and weeks and weeks on loving one another, this command I've given you. He, he, when asked the greatest commandments, we've talked about this. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I have to throw in the second one because it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says, look, you've, you've been doing this. You've been loving. It, it seems like they, because of where they were located on the road in Macedonia, they had sent supplies to all of the poor churches throughout Macedonia, and they've been loving people denying themselves and using what they had, laying down their lives to love the brothers. And he says, look, you're doing it. Keep doing it. But do, I urge you, do it more and more. Like, don't be content with your current level of love. Praise God. If you love your brothers and sisters, praise the Lord. If you don't, repent and love them. But if you do, praise God. And I urge you, do it more and more. So the whole theme of this is don't rest with your current level of sanctification, holiness, and love. Press on, beloved into Christ-likeness, until His love is formed in you, until His holiness is formed in you. And then he gets into this living honorably before outsiders. He says, I want you to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time here. A couple things really quick. One, this live quietly is hugely encouraging. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like your life is small or the accomplishments are small, Kayla was saying this is hugely encouraging for motherhood. It's not because motherhood is small. It can just feel like it. It can feel like the mundane of the daily tasks and of, of doing things that constantly get undone. Uh, it can just feel like, man, this, is, this doesn't feel like I'm accomplishing anything, like I'm doing anything. I've heard from multiple people in our church that um, it feels like the job gets in the way of, of living a holy life and like doing something big for God. And here Paul is saying, it is pleasing to God if he has called you to whatever the work of your hands are and he's called you to it and you do it as unto him, it's pleasing to him. He's pleased with it. Live a quiet life. You don't have to go do all these huge things. You just need to obey and do it as unto the Lord, not grumbling, not complaining, not doing it by man-pleasing, just by way of when people are looking at you, but with the holiness of heart that seeks to please God with the work of your hands, live a quiet life. And he is pleased with that. And he says, uh, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. That is not fostering an American ideal of individualism where we don't need help from anybody. Like all my New England friends in the house are like, amen, be dependent on nobody. I knew I was right not asking for help. He's not saying, look, it's not right to not depend on the body when God wants you to. He engineers circumstances of your life where the body will need each other. He wants you to need the body. There's seasons in your life where you need the body, and then there's other seasons where the body needs you. And he, he creates that so that we'll learn to love one another and help one another. Some of you guys are so servant-hearted, and it's beautiful, but it's a one-way street. You're fine helping people, but you don't want to be helped. That's not what he's talking about. He's, he's speaking to those in Thessalonica that would be lazily relying on a client-patron system that we talked about at the beginning of the series, where all the way from Rome down to Thessalonica, there was a whole system of people who had patrons, and you just lived off the dollars of somebody else, 
and it fostered laziness in people where you didn't want to work because you could just get money from other places. And later, Paul would write to him and say, if anyone's unwilling to work, he shouldn't eat. That we're called to work hard in the fear of God and to, to be honorable in our work. And I would just say as an aside, this has to do with living honorably in your work. This is a call to holiness in the quiet of your life, in your daily work. And I would just add to this that there is a practice that I have seen more and more, not just here, but I think believers and non-believers alike do it. And that is this sort of practice of getting paid or paying under the table, off the books. Right? It's no 1099, there's no W-2, it's just like, we know it's wrong, but it's just, let's just do it. And this same sentiment is, look, live honorably. Live in a way that tells the truth about Jesus to those who are watching. If you wouldn't do somebody, do something if you knew someone knew about it or someone found out about it, then live honorably. You want to walk properly before outside so that you're telling the truth about the righteousness of Christ and His holiness is produced in you. And to whatever extent you do this, beautiful. Do it more and more so that we can learn how to walk and to please God in our work, in our sexuality, in the way that we love one another. And then I'm closing with this. In the fear of God, the Lord is the avenger and judge. We don't have a long time to spend here, but this text, the reason why Paul gives for this is, look, you have to stand before God to give an account for all these things. And he is the righteous judge. And I thought, man, I want to make sure that our church knows uh, how to think about standing before the judgment of God, right? That you don't read this and be like, wait, I thought I was out from under the judgment of God. How do I think rightly about these things? So we know, men, especially from studying First John, if anyone says that he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. So nobody in this life, you're not going to get to a place where you're sinless. It's not happening. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. It's amazing. And those who say that they come to know him should what? Should walk as he himself walked. And no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Doesn't mean he's not contradicting himself in 1 John, saying, look, if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself or you're calling God a liar. But no one who's been born of God, who has the Spirit of God inside, makes a practice of unrepentant sin. You don't sin and love it more than Jesus. You fight. There's a war that's going on. Now, you may be losing the war, but you are fighting because the Spirit of God is in you. And so if you disregard God's Spirit as a way of life, you will go out from the church one day and remember a season where you used to call yourself a Christian and that's what the Bible teaches. You'll go out from us and it'll be proof in itself that the word of the gospel did not take root in your heart by faith. That a true faith works itself out with fear and trembling and, and has spirit-produced fruit. For those who are in Christ, you've placed your trust in Jesus. This is your confidence and your hope. First Thessalonians 5, 9. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is amazing. This is the whole promise. He has saved you from the wrath to come. So when he talks about the Lord being an avenger and all these things or believers standing before the judgment seat of Christ, that is not 
the wrath of God poured out for your sin. And still, you will stand before Jesus and give an account of all the deeds done in the body. And you can read about these. Let me give you these references. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. Same passage that talks about our aim being to please him. It says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. That's believers. You will stand before Jesus. You'll give an account of every idle word, every idle thought. And that is to move us to pursue holiness in the fear of God. Not to think, well, I've been justified by the blood of his son, so it's no big deal. That's not how believers think. Believers think, I'm going to stand before my master one day and give an account for all of this. God, purify my heart. Make me like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus in my heart. I want to say I've, I've been bought with the price, so these hands are yours, and this mind is yours, and this heart is yours, and these arms and these legs. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I belong to you. Romans 14, 12, write it down. Each of us must give an account of himself to God. But 1 Corinthians 3 gives the most explanation for when Jesus comes, he will set fire to every person's life and work. And what was produced by the Spirit of God for the glory of God will stand the flame. And everything else that was motivated by your glory, even righteous things that were done with the wrong motivation, or things that you did that nobody knew about, it's wood, hay, and stubble. And it will not stand the test and it says if the work that anyone has built on the foundation of Christ survives he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned up he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved but only as through fire and so man the spirit of God in us says I don't want that to be me I want to have a life that is honoring to Jesus that results in praise and honor and glory to him when I see him I don't want to be saved yet as through fire I want to be saved I just don't want the, all my life to amount to nothing when the fire tested. And so, like Paul calls us to in this passage, and Eric and Jesse, you guys can come back up. We saw it in 1 Peter. We're seeing it today. If you call on him, Father, during your sojournings here, then be holy as he is holy in all your conduct. Not just holiness in the heart that's disconnected from your life and not just an appearance of holiness on the outside, but knowing God's will for you and being strengthened by his spirit, pursuing holiness in the fear of God, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let us put off sexual immorality and everything connected with it and let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ and put on the love that he has called us to and live quiet and honorable lives as we honor him in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's an awesome promise. Let's pray. Father, Lord, the enemy is relentless in his attacks. And I know that this call to holiness uh, is hard. It is hard to deny ourselves 
and to take up our cross and to follow you. But you have given us the spirit of the living God so that we can deny ourselves and put to death the deeds of the body and live. And so, Father, I am praying that for every believer in the room, would they be reminded afresh that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus fulfilled all the law for us and took our condemnation for us. But you, just like we were crucified with you, we are raised to walk in a newness of life that is marked by holiness, that we would present the members of our bodies as those alive from the dead, as instruments of righteousness. Lord, let us put off every work of darkness, every lustful thought, every evil deed. Lord, may repentance be real and true. Would you create in this church a gospel culture, a love for one another that welcomes one another as Christ has welcomed us and creates an atmosphere where confession of sin and healing can happen and people can walk in the light and so have fellowship with you and with each other? Lord, we want to know you and we want to honor you. Would you come and produce it in us more and more? Let us not make peace with sin or peace with our current level of holiness. Let us press on. Let Come, people, let us press on. Let us press on to know the Lord. Father, would you do it in Jesus' name?